Welcome back to Latitude with 43 North. I'm Justine Palkowski, the Senior Marketing Manager, and today we have a very different type of episode for you. In October, we hosted our ninth edition of 43 North Final, and we were thrilled to welcome tech pioneer Steve Case. Case is the chairman and CEO of Revolution, a DC-based investment firm, co-founder of AOL America Online, and author of The Rise of the Rest. While writing The Rise of the Rest, he visited Buffalo in 2015 to check out the local startup scene and talk about the importance of startups in non-coastal cities outside of your typical New York or Silicon Valley. Back in 2015, the Sabres just signed Jack Eichel, Bills fans were rooting for Tyrod Taylor, the Seneca One Tower was mostly dark, a lot has changed since then. And while Buffalo as a startup city has a lot of room to grow, a ton of progress has been made since he was last here. Before our main 43 North Finals event, we hosted a free community event in which Case was joined by 43 North President Colleen Heidinger, and they discussed how cities like Buffalo can rise and thrive as vibrant tech hubs. So for today's episode, we'll be sharing that conversation for those who missed it. So let's get into it. Thank you all for being here. It's a truly an honor. And for those that were with us yesterday as well for round one, great day for Buffalo for 43 North. We have the honor to have Steve Case with us today, a dear friend of our organizations. We work very closely with uh, the Rise of the Rest program that Steve leads. Steve is the founder of AOL, as I'm sure you all know. And most importantly for this conversation, he's been the kind of mastermind behind their Rise of the Rest program that is solely focused on investing away from the coasts in, in places like Buffalo. So Steve recently wrote a book that you all should have received a copy of if you haven't. We will. <laughs> um, and so we're just going to have a conversation today for, for a bit, and then we'll open it up to Q&A for all of you. Um, I was having a little bit of fun upstairs before I came down, and um, Steve was with us in 2015. It was actually right after I started at 43 North. We, were in, we had just completed our first competition. So I kind of reflected on the state of which Buffalo was in at that time, and I thought you might enjoy some of the highlights. <laughs> So maybe you close your eyes and you kind of visualize this was our Buffalo in 2015. Canal side was relatively new with, there was not a, a, a children's museum. We were still calling it HSBC Arena. <laughs> Seneca one in the tower was dark. Douglas certainly hadn't found his love for Buffalo quite yet. 43 North was housed in the Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus, and the co-working space next to us, DIG, was quite desolate. Back USA was attempting to produce laptops or uh, tablets downtown. Larkinville, we took Steve over to meet Leslie and Howard, was literally just the square. Right now they've grown across Seneca Street. It was still called Solar City, right? We, we took Steve on a tour of Solar City at the time, right now Tesla. City Dining Cards, led by Patrick Finan, was on Main Street, as was uh, my mom still like buying Groupons at every chance she could. Uber was everywhere but here. <laughs> we still had judges getting taxis when they landed. <laughs> the, grain the grain elevators were still kind of on their own. There was no silo city. Our population was still declining, right? We were still feeling the effects of brain drain. Our bills went eight and eight that season, and we had uh, a ton of hope in Tyrod Taylor. Remember those days? <laughs> the Sabres closed the season with a 35 and 36 record. So we hope tonight 
they, you know, start on a new track, right? We're going to go all the way this year, supposedly. And also that was the year that we had drafted Eichel. So just to kind of allow you to go back, right? We've been busy. <laughs> we've had a lot going on. And um, so Steve is going to help us kind of identify that, the importance of our work and encourage us to continue to move forward in some of our conversations. So please think about questions um, as we speak, and then we'll open it up in just a short bit. So first, Steve, tell us, why did you write this book? Well, I wrote the book because I have had the opportunity, as you said, to travel around the country. We've done, you know, 50 cities by bus. Uh, we've now investments in 100 different cities. I've probably personally visited uh, 80 or 90 different cities. Um, and it's just remarkable what's happened. Exactly what the story you just talked about. But most people don't have a clue. Most people have no idea, including a lot of people living in Buffalo don't know what's been happening with the startups in, in Buffalo. But for sure, people living outside of Buffalo don't know. Um, and so I just, after having the opportunity to meet all these different entrepreneurs and investors in different places, see what different cities were doing and that we're really trying to reimagine the cities and, and almost like launch the next kind of chapter of uh, entrepreneurship in America. Uh, I just felt that it was a book that had to be written because it was a story that had to be told. And the hardest part was because we have now invested in over 200 companies in over hundred different cities, as I mentioned, visited, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of cities, it was like, okay, we have a lot to talk about, but we have to, you know, kind of cut a lot just to keep it, keep it, keep it simple. Um, but it, it, it has been, you know, interesting traveling around since the book came out and talking to people. It's kind of opened their eyes to some of the opportunities. Uh, and we've seen over, we started Rogers just about a decade ago. When we first started it, I'm sure, as as you saw eight years ago, ten years ago, when you're getting started with 43 North, people were like, <laughs> "I don't know, seems like a a good idea, good for you for but doing what you can to help, but I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm not sure it's going to work. It just at the time, as you probably all know, you know, there was a few tech hubs." Uh, San Francisco, the Silicon Valley area, obviously New York City area and the Boston area that were really dominant. They're getting the majority of venture capital, just those three cities. Um, and you know, most people, as a result, including you and many others growing up here or going to school here, felt they had to leave because the opportunity wasn't here. The opportunity was somewhere else. There was this you know, brain drain you know, dynamic and that started reversing the venture capital, even though it's still overwhelmingly on the coast, overwhelmingly a few cities has started to, you know, to, to migrate. And the pandemic in an odd way uh, has been kind of a catalyst, a tipping point in terms of people saying, well, maybe they're, I can think about how I live and how I work in a little different context, a little more remote, a little more hybrid. And that's been, 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 uh, been helpful. So we've seen, you know, the momentum, you know, you know, building, but we recognize, as you all recognize, still a lot of work to do. And so it's, it, it, it's encouraging to see exactly the progress yet. I love the, the story in living with this, this building that was essentially empty when we visited uh, and now is essentially full. You know, that is a, is a dynamic we're seeing in, in other cities where even downtowns that were largely empty, you know, particularly on evenings and weekends, now have more energy and people living there and working there and, and so forth. So it's it's a, it's wonderful to see and and it's you know part of what we're just trying to do is make sure other people are aware sure. that other investors start paying attention to what's happening in places like Buffalo. Maybe some of those people that did leave feel like now's the time to you know you know come back and be part of this sort of the next 
know, chapter for, for, for Buffalo. Um, so that's why I wrote the book, just really trying to summarize some of the you know, things we'd seen uh, and, and try to uh, encourage, maybe evangelize a little bit, you know, people to get engaged and do their part to, to contribute to the revitalization of a lot of cities, but also, I think importantly, kind of leveling the playing field in America so more people in more places don't feel left out and left behind. They feel like they have an opportunity. Uh -huh. Yeah, we certainly, so a few, few kind of follow-up points there. We certainly, during the pandemic, I'm, I'm sure folks in the audience, you know, I had friends from high school more than ever calling from the bigger cities that now wanted a backyard, that wanted more space, that wanted less of a commute, that wanted to be near family. So I think Buffalo benefited, and yeah. despite the difficulty of those times, you know, the attraction back home certainly was was valid. Secondly, you know, and I know there's some of our judges that were with us yesterday. And for those that, that weren't with us, we have 20, 25 judges, venture capitalists from around the nation that came in to help us determine the top eight. Mm -hmm. Back when we originally started doing that, which was six or seven years ago, I mean, we were begging people, right. <laughs> you know, like we'll pay, we'll whatever, like, you know, and now I've, I've actually couldn't invite everyone from mm -hmm. a capacity standpoint. And I'm sure I've pissed people off because I couldn't have them all here, but you know, we've, we've felt that kind of 180 and that folks, you know, when I'm on the road speaking about Buffalo and 43 North, I mean, they know what we're doing, right? They've had a friend come and judge. They've heard about ACV, our first IPO. Um, you know, that, so this momentum continues to build, right? As to there, that there is something going on here and that folks should pay attention to it. So, so I agree very much. Talk about Steve, any, you know, particular characters or folks in the book that maybe have an interesting story that, that the audience might find interesting? Well, it's a, it's a mix. Again, it was hard to pick, but there's some that were kind of made sense that they were where they were starting their company because it built on sort of the history, the legacy of those cities. And there are others that were sort of surprising. It didn't, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't obvious why they were, were, were there, uh, but they were having you know, a great success. On, on the first camp, uh, a good example is a winner of our pitch competition in Chattanooga with a company called Freightways. It's sort of like a Bloomberg data platform for trucking and logistics. And I didn't know this until we were there with, with our Rise of Res bus, but many of the largest trucking companies in America are headquartered in Chattanooga. So you're building like Bloomberg for trucking. It's better to be in Chattanooga than New York City or San Francisco or any other place. It was strategically advantaged because the culture understood trucking and logistics. The big companies who could be customers, you know, kind of uh, were there. So that was like interesting. That sort of uh, makes sense. Another one that I thought was interesting is, is there's a company in northwest Arkansas in Fayetteville called Acre Trader. Uh, and essentially it's a platform to invest in farmland. So right now, if you have a lot of money, you can invest in farmland, but most people can't, you know, it's not really democratized the way many other classes of investment are. And so they said, let's build a, a platform where people can learn about different things and invest, you know, relatively modest amounts of money as pooled with other people in farmland so they can diversify, but also it provides capital for the farmers to expand. And they, some of these family farms can actually expand and, um, and as opposed to feel like they have to contract or in some cases have to, have to sell. Uh, and that in itself was interesting. But what's more interesting is the founder of that company, Carter Malloy, was actually in San Francisco at the time working for a hedge fund. And when he came up with this and some of the, what the hedge fund was doing related to investing in, 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 in farmland and other assets, and he realized this, this opportunity to sort of democratize the access to this category. 
But then he decided to move from San Francisco to Fayetteville to start the company. And the reason for that was he said, well, in order for this to work, I need to get farmers to believe and trust me. Otherwise, we don't have any farmers or in farms on the platform. You know, there's nothing to invest in. And so that led him to move to Fayetteville. Now that company has over 100 employees, gone on to raise seven or $80 million. And it's, it's an example of something that kind of made sense to be you know, building a platform to invest in farmland where farmers existed. Uh, so those are you know, many other examples. Those are a couple. The ones that are little ones that are a little more surprising in Detroit, uh, there was a company called StockX that we backed. Uh, and what originally was, was, was pitched to us, it was sort of this idea of kind of a, a stock market for things, where almost like eBay, where you could you know, buy and sell things, but with authentication. And initially focused on like the sneaker market and some other markets. Um, and okay, that, you know, interesting. I didn't know how interesting, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, they, last round, they raised uh, at a, I think it was a $3 billion valuation. They have a couple thousand employees, most of whom are in Detroit. And they've retrained a lot of auto workers uh, who are out of, in many cases, out of jobs to basically work in this, you know, the, where they're doing the authentication. So that was an example of, you know, if you just mention the company, explain what they did and say, you guess what city it was, Detroit, you know, <laughs> at least for me, didn't, didn't sort of obviously, you know, kind of, you know, come to mind. One last one. In Baltimore, there's a company called Catalyte. Uh, it's an ed tech education technology company, and they use AI to, to determine who has a kind of an aptitude for coding, no. but didn't know it. You know, there are a lot of people who, you know, when they were thinking about their, their, you know, their job and they you know, get started, depending what school they go, what community they come from, they don't necessarily fully understand mm. all the options, including for a lot of people, you know, that, you know, coding is an option. Uh, and what I loved about that was, A, they were using AI, which many people are worried is going to destroy jobs to create opportunity. And B, they were identifying people. And clearly, I remember in one case, our UPS truck driver, who was in his 30s, uh, went through this program. Like, if he takes this test, turns out he was pretty good at coding. Nobody told him that. And as a result, he you know, went, did, uh, you know, ended up doing a different job and was making like three times more money. Um, and again... If you explain that company, it wouldn't be like, oh, that's in Baltimore. You know, this <laughs> is not, it's sort of a, and so the great thing is how many of the cities are building on the expertise they have, like here with manufacturing, life science, a bunch of other things, which is really important, but also remain open to the idea that some entrepreneur with some crazy idea, you know, could decide to start it here and scale it here and it could end up being a you know, really big, big, big success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that is very true for Buffalo, 43 North with ACV, yeah. right? I mean, when they won, at, at the time we were doing one $1 million investment and then a, a bunch of 500s. And we actually got scrutiny because folks were saying, well, they're already here. Why are you giving them a million? Well, first of all, they were by far the strongest company that year. Secondly, one of the co-founders was not from Buffalo. So there was, you know, an opportunity to move that back to Albany, right. which is where Joe was from. So we said, we you know, rooted them, helped to root them here with that, with that money. They moved on to, you know, significantly IPO and still have 500 employees on, on Ellicott Street and on the medical campus. So, right. And that's the other dynamic. It's getting a little better, but still it can be an issue is for entrepreneurs, it's hard to raise initial seed capital to get going. 
you know, a lot of things that's encouraging in the last decade, 1,400 new venture firms have started in Rise of the Rest City. So that's good. You know, more capital and more, more, more city, but still hard. Uh, and, and as you scale up and need a little bit more capital, like the venture round or the later stage, you know, growth round, historically, the investors would say, okay, it's interesting, but you have to move to where I am. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we won't invest. Uh, and usually that was moving to like Silicon Valley. Uh, that still happens occasionally, but it's much less you know common. People recognize that there's you know value to being in these cities, there's value to the culture they've created with it. It's disrupted to try to you know to move them. And more and more of the coastal investors are realizing that cities like Buffalo are on the rise, and, and there are opportunities to back you know great companies that can generate great returns. And so it, it, it's getting it's getting uh, better on that front. But that dynamic of making sure you keep your winners. Uh, don't sell your winners short. Don't sell too early, which has often happened in, in rising you know, cities. And when you do have a winner, we think of it as a tentpole company, you leverage that. And so momentum you know, begets momentum. I want uh, a little anecdote there that I found interesting. It's actually in the book. It's in Indianapolis. There's a company called Exact Target that's uh, in the SaaS so sort of sales you know, kind of uh, marketing function. Uh, they almost sold that company to Salesforce remember, 10 or 12 years ago, I think for like $70 million. They had agreed to sell. And then at last minute, you know, Salesforce, for some reason, decided not to do it. And they kind of freaked out a little bit, but they, you know, said, okay, we're not selling, we're going to build. And, and then I think it was like five years later, Salesforce came back and bought that same company for $2.6 billion. Wow. <laughs> Timing is everything. Sometimes it's better to wait. And, you know, my own experience with AOL, we started in uh, Northern Virginia outside of at DC. We had uh, several offers when we were, you know, one was from a competitor, actually in Ohio, called CompuServe to buy us for 60 or $70 million. One from Microsoft to buy us for I guess, three or $400 million. Uh, and you know, a lot of the venture guys and even some of the early employees were like, <laughs> Pretty good. We should like declare victory, take the money and run, getting competitive out there. Uh, but and it came, almost got sold, but thankfully it, it didn't. And then you know, ten years later or something, it was worth 160 billion dollars. <laughs> good thing we didn't sell the for sixty or seventy. Uh, so that that dynamic of of trying to nurture, support all the entrepreneurs trying to do different things as some scale up. Make sure they have access to the capital and talent and partnerships they need for the next phase and figure out ways to encourage them and make it easy for them to stay where they are and build where they are. And then, you know, let it run to the point where it's like, OK, you know, now is a good time to go public and, or, or, you know, or potentially sell to somebody. Uh, but leverage that success to create the next generation of, of, of successes. That's how these ecosystems really develop. It's a classic case of. Momentum begets momentum. In, in Seattle, for example, 40, 50 years ago, Seattle was in real trouble. It was the, the, most of the core industries there were in decline. Um, and then what happened now, it's a pretty bustling kind of tech hub. It happened because Bill Gates and Paul Allen, the founders of Microsoft, started Microsoft in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's where they would, because the, the main, you know, at the time, main computer company they were writing software for was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, but they were a little homesick. <laughs> and they decided to move one of only dozens of employees from Albuquerque to Seattle. And then obviously it was quite successful. And that kind of put Seattle on the map. And the only reason Amazon is based in Seattle 
is Jeff Bezos was working at, at, in New York City and had the idea of this bookseller online, which obviously, you know, it's where Amazon started, and decided to drive across the country and start the company in Seattle because he figured he could hire some Microsoft engineers. That's the only reason he went to Seattle. And so it's a great example of how these things happen. And when you have, you're lucky enough to have one of those successes, how do you mm-hmm. leverage it into broader success? I couldn't agree more. And I, and I applaud Jack, Joe, and George. I mean, they're all, um, no, Jack, Joe, and Dan, sorry, the original founders of ACV. They've all taken new roles within this ecosystem from a mentorship, investment. They're present more than ever. And, and it's just been a gift, right? Tenfold. Steve, just to pivot a bit, talk about the key ingredients to a successful ecosystem, right? We're in about arguably year 10, year 12. We, we knew starting out this would never be an overnight sensation, right? It was going to take at least 20 years. Right. This is kind of the number that we used and still do. Talk about the pieces that you find to be critical. Well, there's a number of, of pieces that I, in one chapter, talks about eight different you know, kind of you know, factors. But they're, they're, to simplify, there's three in particular that you really have to get right. Uh, two are probably a little more obvious than we've already talked about a little bit. One less so, but probably the most important. The, the, the first two are you have to win the battle for talent and you have to win the battle for capital. And winning the battle for talent is keeping more of the people you already have or growing up, keeping the people who are coming to your, you know, your universities instead of having them graduate and, and leave. And creating a magnet where other people decide they want to move there. And, you know, that you can't really be successful if you don't have the, the talent. It's true for a company. It's also true for a community. And so that talent you know, battle is obviously uh, you know, critical. And, and it goes back to what we talked about before. How do you get away from the brain drain dynamic and create this boomerang of people returning and other people that don't even have a connection there deciding to, to, to move there? That's, that's the talent piece. The capital piece we are also already talked about. There are some people that had a successful company and, and could self-fund their next company, but it's pretty rare. It's also some people have access to people, which is often called friends and family rounds, that have capital and they can sometimes tap into that, which helps them get, you know, get started. But not everybody has access to people that have money to invest in, you know, in startups. Uh, and so figuring out ways to create uh, you know, pathways to like what you're doing, including uh, you know, today, to, uh, to allow companies to get some of that initial funding to get going and help create more regional venture firms that can help seed the next generation of companies is, is, is critically important. So you got to have the talent, you got to have the, you know, the capital. The part that's a little subtler, but arguably more important, is uh, a community culture collaboration point that in, in, in many cities, um, that we've seen, there are interesting things happening, but they're disconnected. They're kind of siloed. They're often, uh, there's you know, a lot of things happening in you know, a particular um, kind of startup you know, kind of sector. Sometimes the big companies are not really involved in paying attention. Sometimes the universities are not really engaged in terms of trying to be uh, you know, supportive. It's just sort of, it's just sort of you know, kind of you know, fragmented. And so driving more of that collaboration while hard is really, really important. Uh, and also, I suspect this is an opportunity um, you know, for, for Buffalo, is to think about your city in a broader regional context. When people are thinking about uh, Buffalo, they're thinking about a region in New York 
that likely includes Rochester, Syracuse, other things. And if you're thinking of making a big investment there, you're probably thinking about it in a broader context. Um, and I was encouraged uh, uh, that you mentioned that your uh, submission for the Tech Hub competition that the Commerce Department is operating was, you know, the, you know the, a regional play, the three cities, you know, working together. The great example of how important that it was, you know, I started, as I mentioned, uh, America Online in Northern Virginia outside of D.C., kind of across the Potomac from uh, from Maryland for most of the last four decades. D.C., Maryland and Virginia were kind of fighting over things, economic development, get this, this company or, you know, or that. They came together five or six years ago in a remarkable way to jointly bid for the Amazon second headquarters. And they said, there's a bunch of things Amazon's looking for. It's we can win if it's the three of us together, kind of the greater Washington region, and we connect with the university. So there's a pipeline of talent, and a bunch of other things. And they got the mayor of of D.C. and the governors of both Maryland and Virginia to jointly kind of you know pitch uh, Amazon, and they won. And it happened to be in Northern Virginia, but D.C. and and, and Maryland kind of you know benefited benefit from that. So it just shot. So there was a recent example of the power of kind of regional collaboration. They've then now taken the next step, created something called the Greater Washington Partnership, and it's much more of a concerted effort uh, of of people to try to drive broader economic development. So instead of it being D.C. versus Virginia versus Maryland, it's D.C. plus Virginia plus Maryland. It's, it's really paying off. So that's an you know, opportunity to build on what's happening in the tech hub. So within the community, figure out ways to drive more collaboration. Things like this week, obviously, are including some of the things we have scheduled uh, you know, today to engage you know, corporate leaders and and others. That's that's a key part of it. But then also trying to figure out how to, you know, you know, world where people are trying to decide what decisions to make in terms of where do they invest or where they you know move, not just having it be about your particular city, but how does it fit more broadly in a in a regional context? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we, you know, some of us were at the table early on in the kind of the the tech hub discussions, and originally it was thought we would all apply separately. And it was heavily, and you can imagine by who out of Washington, heavily encouraged to us that if you, if essentially, if you don't apply together, there is no chance that you'll you'll be receiving any support. So I might add something to do with that. Right, right now, I'm, co I'm <laughs> co-chairing the National Advisory Council on Innovation Entrepreneurs, which is part of the Commerce Department with Secretary Raimondo. And you know, we uh, were asked to create some guidelines for them to use a template, if you will, to, to pick tech hubs. And that was one of the recommendations is to, you know, kind of look for more collaborators and look for more, you know, kind of regional uh, kind of plays as opposed to well, one last story on, on the, 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 how it's evolved in, in the greater D.C. area. I remember talking about this when I was CEO of America Online 25 or 30 years ago. I said, Essentially, the same thing I'm saying now. It just seems like this region is so strong. Here's some you know, reason why we have these competitive advantage. But it'd be stronger if DC and Maryland and Virginia work together. And I thought I, I, I made a pretty good, you know, articulate <laughs> point and 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 you know, argument. And then there's a cocktail party afterwards, uh, and there's uh, somebody from the Maryland Economic Development came up to me and said, "Really enjoyed your talk." But what would it take to get you to move AOL to Maryland? 
Didn't you hear what I said? But that's, you know, I get it. The economic development people, they're all competing. They're trying to get this or trying to get that. And uh, it feels like it's sort of a, a zero-sum game. My experience is if people are collaborating, you know, and doing things together that none of them could do separately, that's when things really start rising. Right. So just to pivot again, imagine you're sitting in this audience, and, and you know, it might be true of some, and you know, it's an inspiring entrepreneur. Someone has an idea. Someone might be at insert name of corporation based in Buffalo, a little bit aggravated, looking for, you know, an opportunity to chase their dreams. Talk about what the book might help them do. And also just general advice for, you know, kind of an aspiring entrepreneur in Buffalo, New York. Well, I think the simple uh, advice is if you do, first of all, entrepreneurs, basically, when you cut through it all, they see a problem and decide to do something about it. They see something that doesn't work that well, and they say it would work. It'd be better if it worked that way. Uh, and instead of just admiring the problem uh, or criticizing what's what's not working, they say, "You know, I'm going to go fix that. And I'm going to fix that by building a company that's going to do that in a more effective way." That's essentially what the entrepreneurs do. They, they see an opportunity, which usually is seeing a problem. That instead of they viewing it through the prism of being a problem, they view it from the prism of being an opportunity. Uh, and so it starts with what's the opportunity? What is the what is the problem? And so if you see something in your daily life or in your work life or just whatever it might be, and you say, I think I think there's a better way, uh, then go do it. And go do it now and go do it here. Most people have that insight, but they don't do it for a whole host of reasons. They're scared. They don't have yeah, excess money. They don't know other people that could be assembled on, on, on the team. Or they say, well, I, I like to do that, but I'm not, I'm not living in San Francisco. I'm only here in Buffalo. I'm not, I don't really have a chance. So I'm not, not, you know, not going to do it. Or... Not now. It's not really convenient. You know, maybe I'll do it a couple of years from now. And, you know, most if it's a good idea, other people are going to have that idea, too. There's not that many original ideas. So moving when you have that instinct, you have that insight and you have that, you know, kind of a light bulb moment, if you will, and say, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to assemble a team that can work with me to take this idea and make it you know, real. I'm going to figure out some way, even though it's hard to raise the capital to, you know, get started. I'm going to do it now and I'm going to you know, do it here because of the dynamics have changed, as you articulated, versus, you know, a decade ago. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier than it was, you know, was, it was before. That's one general set of advice. The other would be, to, to, to recognize, at least my experience with a number of different you know, companies that I've been involved in, uh, it goes back to this point around collaboration and building a team. It's not just the team you built internally within your company. It's the team you build around your company. And most industries now uh, are going to require partnerships to be successful. It'll be like the freight waves I mentioned, getting the trucking companies as partners were, were, were critically important. It's not so much anymore dropping an app in the app store and it spreads virally and app chat awesome everybody's <laughs> using it you know, you know there's still some of that but it's like you're changing healthcare, which is hard requires systems level change you can't do that just by writing code you've got to you know gauge with 
doctors and nurses, they, they use it, and the hospital plans are integrated, and, and you know, even the insurers, they pay for it, the governments, they allow it. There's a bunch of things that need to happen to have that kind of you know, systems level change. So recognizing that entrepreneurship is a team sport, and we're moving into a world where the big ideas, the potentially big companies are going to require a different mindset, which is more around partnership and, and collaboration would be the other uh, you know, point I would emphasize. Appreciate that. I'm getting shown the start Q&A sign, so I'll do that in a moment. One last question from you, Steve, is if you had kind of some advice, right, um, specific for a, com- or a city that's a decade into this, a good decade into this, what would it be? You talked about collaboration, which I couldn't agree more with. Is there anything in addition to that that you would advise us to do or do better? Well, I think you're doing a lot well. And that's part of why I wanted to come back and see the progress. And, and I mentioned some of the examples, uh, like this building also we were talking about earlier, uh, where we started you know, looking out towards the river and seeing what's been developed there when we were, you know, there was more of a um, you know, construction you know, kind of site or, or just beginnings of something. So the, there's a lot of momentum on a lot of different, different uh, fronts. So that's good. And I think one thing would be, Make sure as many people in the community know that as possible so that people realize the progress is being made and therefore maybe they're you know, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more likely to, to lean in. But also recognize it's game on. Guess what? There are a lot of other buffaloes out there that are fighting to be the city on the rise. Uh, and you know there are dozens that are fighting to be a city on the rise and trying to figure out how to win on the talent, win on the capital, win on the you know collaboration, you know point. So now is not the time to say, oh, look at all the things we did in the last decade. Say, okay, progress, good, we should celebrate that. But the, you know the next decade is really kind of showtime, and we've got to really double down in terms of you know the things we're doing and the way we're doing it to capitalize on an opportunity that, as I said at the beginning, had been building over the last decade. Uh, but absolutely was accelerated because of the pandemic, which is sort of this game changer. Exactly how it settles out. What you know? How does work look? Return to work, office, hybrid, remote. You know, ten years from now, you know, it's, you know, different theories out there. But nobody has a theory. It's going to go back to exactly the way it was, and it it absolutely was an unlock because of this dynamic, including maybe some people in the audience who felt twenty, thirty years ago, I must leave Buffalo. I must go to San Francisco. That is where most of the venture capital is. That was more most of the successful startups are. Uh, and I have to live there. Whether I can afford to live there or not, or whether I want to live there or not, I just have to be there in order to have a, a shot. You know, that's really not the case. There's sort of this unlock now. And and even San Francisco is having some, mm-hmm. you know, some challenges. And and uh, and it's because people now realize they can be part of the innovation economy. They can be part of the startup sector. They can even be part of a company based in Silicon Valley without necessarily having to live in Silicon Valley. And the first wave of what happened uh, is some people said, I'm going to move to some other place. Probably some decided to move to Buffalo. And I'm going to still work for the same company I'm working for. I'm just going to do it remotely. Then what's happening you know, is they once they're in that city, they say, huh. Did not know so many interesting things were happening in Buffalo. And some of them start looking at other things and join another company there, or they see something and they say, I'll start a company there. And oh, by the way, some of those companies now are saying, We now want you back. And some people will go back, and a lot of people won't go back. They'll say, I I don't want to go back. I want to stay here. And that frees up a lot of talent 
that can help you know kind of stir up things in terms of the startup you know community. So it's you know the, it, there's an urgency I believe people with it. Now's the time to really build on the the success you've had, the momentum you have, uh, and 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 really make sure you're well positioned for this you know, this next phase. I'm confident that that you know there's no way. You know, the, the data right now is that 75% of venture capital for the last decade has gone to three states. There is no way that's going to be the case 10 years mm-hmm. from now. It's going to be more dispersed. And it has to be more dispersed, by the way, if we're going to win in terms of what's now a global battle for innovation entrepreneurship with countries like China. And it has to be the case if we have any any chance of uniting what is now a very divided country. And it's divided in lots of ways. But one of the ways that we can do something about is there's an opportunity gap. And I referenced it before. There are a lot of people in a lot of parts of the country, including a lot of people in Buffalo, who wake up every morning feeling anxious and fearful about their lives and, and anxious and fearful about the future. They do not have the enthusiasm of, oh, look at this new thing, this disruptive new idea. They think disruption is going to hurt their family, you know, you know lose jobs in their, in, in their community. And that's always what, you know, innovation, technology does, you know, you know, I always try to remind myself that 100 years ago, 90% of people worked on farms. Now it's 2%, uh, basically because technology allowed us to grow more food with fewer people, which is actually a good thing. But thankfully, that we then replaced those jobs in farming with jobs in factories, had to do some retraining. We have not done as good a transition in terms of the moving people to the, you know, the technology world, the, you know, the, the, the digital world. So there are a lot of people feel left out. And if most of the jobs are created by new companies, which is what the data says, not small business, not big business, but new business, you've got to be launching more new companies and creating more opportunity for more people in more places. Uh, so they have a reason to wake up and be more optimistic. And so it seems critical both in terms of the vitality of any one community like a Buffalo, uh, the, the vitality of and, and the ability for America to continue to be the most innovative entrepreneur nation in the world uh, and also do it in a way that's more inclusive. We've got some work to do, Buffalo. I thank you all for being with us, Steve, for, for coming back to Buffalo. I, I can't wait till, you know, another decade passes and we have you, hopefully we'll have you back before then. But Another 10 years really can continue to kind of move this really thing forward. So we thank you wholeheartedly for your time in Buffalo. Truly, thank you for being here. I know there's a lot of places you can be, and it means a lot to me and the 43 North team that you're with us and Steve. So have a great rest of your day. Hope thank you all. Appreciate.